0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Presbyterian, a CREC church in Cochrane, Alberta. We invite you to visit our website at covenantpresbyterian.ca or contact us via email at covenantcochran at gmail.com. We pray that you are blessed by the message. We're going to start at chapter 6, verse 15, all the way to 773. It's going to be a long passage, so what's a few more verses, and it's an opportunity to deal with all the turkey we all ate so nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15 to 773 hear now the word of god now the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of elul in 52 days and when all our enemies heard of it all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our god Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ere, and the son of Jehoianun, had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Bechariah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was more faithful and God fearing than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, for the people within it were few, and no homes had yet been rebuilt. Then my God put my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, These were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Rahamaniah, Mordecai, Bilshen, Mizpereth, Bigvi, Nehum, Bani, the number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parash, 2,172. The sons of Shepatiah, 372. The sons of Era, 652. The sons of Pahath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua, the sons of Joab, 2,818. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zadu, 845. The sons of Zechariah, 760. The sons of Binu, 648. The sons of Bibai, 628. The sons of Asgad, 2,322. The sons of Adonikam, 667. The sons of Bigva, 2,067. The sons of Adon, 655. The sons of Adar, namely Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Hashem, 328. The sons of Bezai, 324. The sons of Harath, 112. The sons of Gibeon, 95. The men of Bethlehem and Nedophath, 188. The men of Ananoth, 128. The men of Bethaz, Maveth, 42. The men of Kiriath, Jerem. Shepharam and Beroth, 743. The men of Ramah and Giba, 621. The men of Michmash, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 123. The men of Nebo, 52. The sons and other Elam, 1,254. The sons of Haram, 312. The sons of Jericho, 345. The sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721. The sons of Sina, 3930. The priests, the sons of Jedekiah, namely the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Imer, 1052. The sons of Pashur, 1247. The sons of Haram, 1017. The Levites, the son of Jeshua, namely Kedmil, the sons of Hedovah, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ador, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatiah, the sons of Shobai, 138. The temple servants, the sons of Zihai, the sons of Hazuphat, the sons of Teboath, the sons of Kiros, the sons of Sai, the sons of Padon, the sons of Libanna, the sons of Hegeba, the sons of Shalmai, the sons of Hannah, the sons of Giddel, the sons of Gahur, the sons of Rehiah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nicota, the sons of Gazum, and the sons of Uza, the sons of Pashia, the sons of Bezai, the sons of Minim, the sons of Nef- Nefushim The sons of Barbuk. The sons of Hakupfa, The sons of Harthor. The sons of Basleth, The sons of слушam. The sons of Harsha. The sons of Barcos. The sons of Sisera. The sons of Tima. The sons of Niziah, The sons of Hadapha, The sons of Solomon's servants. The sons of Sotai. The sons of Soforeth the sons of Peradiah, the sons of Jela, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hittel, the sons of Pachoroth Hazareban, the sons of Ammon, the temple servants, the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Telmanah, Harsha, Shurab, Adon, and Imer, but could not prove their father's houses, nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel, the sons of Deliah, Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, also the priests, and the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Harkaz, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken the wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gibeonite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until the priest with Orm and Thummim should arise. The whole assembly together were forty-two thousand three hundred and sixty, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were seven thousand three hundred and thirty-seven. They had two hundred forty-five singers, male and female. Their horses were seven hundred thirty-six. Their mules. 245, their camels 435, their donkeys 6,720. Now some of the heads of their father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,200 minas of silver, And the rest of the people gave 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Now would you please bow your heads in prayer. Our good and gracious God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the privilege of opening it before us. We ask that you'd help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're telling us in your word this afternoon. We know that these are gifts that only you can give, and so we ask that you would pour out these good gifts upon us. May we be remade by our encountering with you this afternoon, from the oldest to the youngest. And Lord, give me the words to preach this text as it ought to be preached. Amen. You may be seated. Congratulations, we all made it through that long list of names. And welcome back to the book of Nehemiah. This is, the, this is the last of the long sections of names in the book of Nehemiah, so we are safe from me butchering more names. If you ever need to feel confident about your own reading of the long names in the book of Nehemiah, just remember this moment. Now, the full context of our passages this afternoon marks a shift in Nehemiah's focus and a transition in the book as a whole. Now, Nehemiah's focus is going to go from the rebuilding of the city to the true goal, the rebuilding of the people of God. Remember that when we first started with the book of Nehemiah, I said the theme or the focus of this book was that this is the story about God's people in God's place, pursuing God's glory in the context of God's covenant promises. Now, let me just say that again. The book of Nehemiah is the story about God's people in God's place pursuing God's glory in the context of God's covenant promises. This is the story of the people of God who are pursuing God's covenant promises, the promise of God, in order that God might be glorified and that his people might be built up. Which brings us to the question, what covenant promises was Nehemiah looking and trusting that God would fulfill. Now I think specifically, Nehemiah was looking for the promises that God made to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. Where God told his people that he would not abandon them. That even though they were in exile, he would bring them back. That even though they were no longer in the promised land, God promised that he'd be with them wherever they went. That Jerusalem would be rebuilt and that his people would be brought back and that God would be their God. So once again, the goal wasn't to build a great city with some impressive walls. After all, how many ancient structures still stand? How many of those ancient monuments are still standing today? Buildings will eventually decay and fall. Time will erode what we might strive to build as monuments to ourselves or to our day. Has anyone here seen the Colosseum? It was a impressive structure, a massive structure, but it too is slowly eroding away. If you want to see, you can look at pictures of it as it stands today versus what it would have looked like in its glory. Rather, what matters most is the people who are being built up. The people who are being built up as living stones into a holy temple, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. So the rebuilding effort wasn't the main task. It was the prelude to the main task. It was laying a foundation for what mattered most. The re-establishing of a community of a living and vibrant faith. Just like you have to first build the lattice or the structure for a vine to grow up. Or if you're trying to build a plant like a vine that's going to end growing up, you have to first of all build a structure for it to grow along. The people needed a temple first to gather around, and a city with walls in order to grow into the people that God had called them to be. The goal was always to have a new people within the city, not just to have a new city for a new city's sake, but as what mattered most wasn't the bricks of the mortar, but the state of the people's hearts. And we can see this trajectory in how the city was rebuilt. First, the temple was rebuilt under the oversight of Zerubbabel and Ezra to provide a place for them to worship and a place for them to center around, a place for the congregate around. Because the rightful worship was the goal from the very beginning. Now, I just want to briefly recap this whole section because this really is one unit. So I don't want to miss out on what God is trying to tell us here and how he structured this passage and preserved it for us. First, we saw that Nehemiah recognizes that all that he had accomplished, that all the people of God had accomplished, was by the hand of God. Nehemiah sees God's hand at work in his own circumstances, by looking back and not vainly trying to take credit for the incredible task that they had accomplished. After all, how easy would it have been to be like Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, when he said, look at all that I accomplished. After all, this is the default condition of our hearts. We can look back and we can see God's faithfulness or we can see that God had accomplished something and it's all too easy for us to say, hey, look what we accomplished. Look what I managed to pull out of my hat. Rather, Nehemiah looks back and recognizes that all they had done and all that they could do, they had completed by the hand of God. Now, a great example of looking back and seeing God at work in one's life is this book Augustine's Confessions if anyone's looking for a new book to start next year I would recommend this and if anybody wants this copy I'll give it away to the first person who comes and asks me after the service it's an extra copy of mine but also when we come up to the end of the year perhaps we can each take a few moments and reflect on how God has been at work in our own lives and thank him for that be it from the babies that we've had born within our congregation, to the jobs that God had provided for us at just the right time, to cross-country moves. Let's make time this year end to reflect on God's kindness to us and tell our families of God's goodness as we enter into the new year. Now, before Nehemiah moves on to the next step, he praises God. Before he starts the next task, he reflects on how God had enabled him to complete the previous task. So before rushing into what's next, he stops, he pauses. He sees that God had been the one who, who had allowed him to complete everything that he had done. And he praises God for that. Then, Nehemiah will rightly read the situation. He sees that there's opposition within the camp due to ungodly marriages. Now that's going to be a topic that we'll reflect on later as we come up to that subject again in the book of Nehemiah. But here, Nehemiah demonstrates for us that we can't claim peace where there is none. Even when that complicates our personal and business relationships. After all, as the governor, Nehemiah would have had a great many interactions with the nobles of Judah. Those who had been bound by oath to those they shouldn't have been. While this can come as a surprise to many Christians today, it's important that we recognize that this is exactly what our Lord told us in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Therefore, Christians, don't be surprised when trials come. Don't be surprised when trials come because of your faith, because of the gospel. Just make sure that they come for the right reasons, not because of our own obnoxiousness or some personal reasons, but rather because of our faith, because of the good news of the gospel and its offense to the world around us. There's also an important lesson for us to keep in mind. Our business and personal practices matter. After all, Christ is Lord of all, And we ought not to downplay the lure of materialism or the danger of stuff and its attempt to try and make us compromise. Because yes, the new things might appear shiny, but we all have to assess at what cost. And in this situation with Tobiah, the nobles got themselves into business practices that led them away from what God had called them to be and from what God had called them to do. They, by entering into after what I'm assuming would have seemed like a very prudent business partnership, had partnered with evil and set themselves against the purposes of God. A lesson for us to be wise with those we enter into business practices with. Then we see Nehemiah appoint singers and the Levites. Now, this is to tell us that even though the temple had been rebuilt, he still has to appoint those to serve in it. This is to give us the idea that even though the temple is rebuilt, full-orbed worship had not yet been restored. The temple was built, but yet worship had not fully taken place yet. There was still something missing. Next, we see that he installs good and godly leaders on the basis of them being good and godly. Yeah, I know we wish that we were able to say the same about some of our own politicians. But this is also an example of the criteria by which we ought to discern who we ought to vote for. Do they truly fear God? Or do they just say the right things and offer us the right stuff? Lastly, Nehemiah set the gatekeepers to keep the gates closed during the most profitable time of the day. The morning when the sun isn't yet scorching and it's the best time to see one's business taken care of as everything is far less pleasant and productive when the sun is at its hottest. I'm sure for all of you who work outdoors or when it's time to mow the lawn in the summers, you don't do it in the middle of the day. You try to get it done in the morning or in the evening when the sun isn't at its hottest. Now, why does he do this? He does this in order that God's people might focus on what it means to be his people, that they, could re, that they would reestablish their identity as his people and thereby live as his people. Now, all of this brings us to verse 5. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy by those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. Now, first of all, why do we bother to read such long lists? After all, how many of us, if we're being honest, As we come to our usual Bible reading plans, when we come to these long lists of names, maybe read a little bit faster. Maybe practice our speed reading. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I can tell from the lack of eye contact. I can understand this temptation. But I think that we should also keep in mind the words of 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for a proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's a reason that this passage is here. After all, during the time of its initial writing and subsequent transmission, writing materials were not as prevalent or cheap as they are today. So every bit of writing material would have been a financial investment. Nothing that was written down was written down haphazardly. Everything that was written down was there for a purpose. So the fact that this list is here intentionally and especially since this list, by and large, is the exact same list as what is found in Ezra chapter 2. And for those of you who are interested in the transmission of this text down to us today, Ezra and Nehemiah were commonly written together in the same scroll or bound together in the same codice or book and preserved alongside one another. Which, once again should lead us to ask the question, why do we see practically the exact same list again? Why is this here? Well, in the book of Ezra, the list is there in order to be a monument to God's care, to be a monument to God's faithfulness. It is meant to show that even though the people were scattered and taken into captivity, God preserved his people. And the fact that the people were able to still identify with their families, with their family groups, is meant to show that God cares about families. They're not incidental or insignificant. Rather, God cares about preserving his people and to preserve them in the families they come with. So in Ezra, the goal was to show that God was faithful to preserve his people and that he did what he said he would do. That he would bring his people home. Something that, by the way, historically when people get scattered... They don't generally keep their identity and return back in mass such as this. So now we come to the list and we have to ask ourselves, why is this here? More or less in the exact same shape with a few discrepancies that could be accounted for by either late arrivals or some other reason. Now the reason that the list is here is in this transition period is that this is intended to motivate the people. In Ezra, it was was to vindicate God and as a reminder of his faithfulness. Here is a way of looking back. And just like Nehemiah started off by looking back and recognizing that all they could do, the fact that they could accomplish the building of the wall, something their enemies said was impossible, something by all appearances seemed an implausible task, they were able to accomplish because God was with them. Here he is looking back that... <clears throat> to say that we are only here because our God brought us out of captivity. That our God brought us back. But here's going to go one step further. And move from looking at what God has done to let us trust in him for what lies ahead. Our God has been faithful to the promises of the past. Now let us trust him for what lies ahead. And we can see this as a common example all throughout the Psalms. The psalmist regularly talks about the difficulties in the circumstances that are around him. But rather than despairing, rather than becoming a pessimist, he looks back and praisingly reflects on God's past deliverance to help anchor his heart in the present and to trust that God would be faithful still. That God wasn't done with him. That God wasn't done with his people, but rather that he would remain faithful. Now, this list is meant to encourage the people and to inflame their hearts, so to speak, for what was ahead of them, which was the reinstitution of proper worship, that by pointing to God's past faithfulness, they were to be obedient to what God called them to next. Now, just because this is in the form of a genealogy doesn't mean that this is an uncommon way of motivating or inspiring people. After all, what do we do when we come to hebrews chapter 11 we see how god was faithful to his people and then how god's people lived faithfully both in the triumphs and the trials that as the text says lived lives of whom the world was not worthy to inspire us to live likewise to not vainly place our hopes in the here and now but rather in what god has called us to to live faithfully to god and this is the same reason we read church history. Church history isn't meant to be something dry, like a, simply a dry retelling of facts and figures. Rather, church history is meant to be our family history, the family history of the people of God, of those who have gone before us in the faith from all around the world and down throughout history. It's meant for us to learn from, to glean from the wisdom of those who have gone before us, to learn from the mistakes of the past, and to give us examples of faithfulness with our brothers and sisters in any number of circumstances. Now, as a specific example, I know many of us read Rod Dreher's Live Not By Lies During COVID, a book which drew heavily from the examples of our brothers and sisters who lived faithfully during Soviet occupation for wisdom to live during the times of COVID badness. This isn't an uncommon thing to look back To see how was God faithful to the people in the past? How is it that we can learn wisdom from them in order to live in our own day? So to summarize, why the second list of names in Nehemiah, as what's found in Ezra, is that in Ezra, it was to chronicle God's faithfulness. And here in Nehemiah, it's to look back at God's faithfulness in order to motivate the people. Now, the command to remember is also something that we see throughout the Bible. For example, as the people of God entered into the land, God commanded his people to remember his faithfulness. In Joshua chapter 4, God told Joshua to take 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes, and to take a stone from where they passed over in the river. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what... Do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan the waters of the ark were the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God knows that we are a people prone to forgetting, and therefore we need to be reminded frequently. After all in the book of Judges we see that after the death of Joshua the next generation didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. We see the people didn't do what the Lord commanded. They didn't remember. They didn't pass that on. And we can see the destruction that that forgetting led to, to one of the tribes nearly being entirely wiped out and every man doing what was right in his own eyes. The ultimate statement of humanity's folly that has led to nothing but misery and death. This is even more important for us in our day and age. We live in a period of history that moves at a frenetic pace. Our time can be marked by anxiety and restlessness. We have access to more and more, to an ever-increasing pace, meaning that we are capable of literally amusing ourselves to death with an endless amount of streaming content, or drowning ourselves trying to ride the river of trendiness of social media fads. Once again, I'm not looking for eye contact. After all, who hasn't gone down the YouTube or social media video wormhole or down an endless streaming binge session only to pop out many hours later than we anticipated wondering what happened to the day? Once again, not looking for a show of hands, but the eye contact does speak for itself. This then leads us this then leads us to be in an age that is also marked by our ingratitude. How fast and how frantic it is from one thing to the next to the next. It leads us to be a people that, let's just say, aren't known for our thankfulness. For example, the latest phone or whatever else comes out, and then how long until the next best thing comes out? After all, how many of us? New phone, hey, got to get an upgrade. New laptop, hey, got to upgrade new vehicle, or whatever that thing is. You know, the next best thing that we just need. And this is a temptation that's all too easy for us to fall into. After all, we live in a highly consumeristic age. But the reason this is so dangerous is as Romans 1 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They did not give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. After all, how common is this for us today? Exchange the glory of God and worship whatever catches our attention. Now the danger is that by being ungrateful that we can become proud and foolish and this trend is something that we also once again see played out in the old testament in the old testament people of god in deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 8 god warns his people that should they forget their god and not follow after him but fall for serving anything else they too will perish and just that we don't fall prey to thinking that was just then there's also some stark warnings in the book of hebrews now, for us, this is where Christ comes in. He's the ultimate one who we are to look to. Nehemiah had the chronicles of God, God's past faithfulness, and the promise of God of what God would still do. We have Christ to look to. Jesus came into the world that we can know that God is not afar off. After all, Emmanuel, God with us. God has come to be with us. This is what we celebrate during Christmas time. This is what Christmas is all to remind us about. Now on the cross, Jesus gave himself for us, and in his resurrection, we know that the debt of sin has been paid, and that we are forgiven and reconciled to God, to himself as his people. And in his ascension, we know that we have an advocate, a high priest who makes intercession for us, that we are not left on our own, we have not been abandoned, and that He sent the Holy Spirit as a down payment and assurance that God has redeemed us, that he is with us, that he will hold us and that he will carry us through. And lastly, by his ascension and being seated at the right hand, we have an assurance that all authority on heaven and on earth are his, that he is ruling and reigning, that what we see around us isn't just chance. It isn't blind, pitiless fate, but rather that our God is in control of history. So, next, as, as we come, as we continue on in our passage, we see that there's this list of what the people had given, what Nehemiah had given. Now, the reason here for the outfitting the priests is to show, once again, that full worship had not been properly instituted yet. That, once again, this helps to focus on what the people really needed. What they truly needed wasn't just a city with walls. What they needed was to act as the people of God. They needed for worship to be fully taking place. And here we see a little bit of the character of Nehemiah. We, we see mentioned that here's what the governor gave. This is Nehemiah. He's the one who is easily given a, a literal fortune. While we don't exactly know, there's a little bit of speculation as far as what each of these ancient currencies equates to today, it's a whole lot of money. Just so we're all clear. So, to summarize, Nehemiah first looks back and recognizes God's help and praises God before making provision for the next step. Nehemiah recognizes God's past faithfulness before taking that next step. Before he appoints governor, before he appoints gatekeepers and singers and Levites. Then Nehemiah looks back and uses the chronicles of God's past faithfulness to inspire future faithfulness. Once again, it's a looking back before stepping forward. And then provision once again is made for what takes place next, for what God has called them to next. Throughout this whole transitioning passage, there's a looking back before taking the next step forward. So I just want to conclude with this. It's New Year's Eve. Let us take time to remember God's faithfulness to you over the past year. Don't be shy, write it down. Because while we may not know what awaits us in 24, we can be sure of the one who holds us in his hands. For as Romans 8.38 says, For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us be comforted by that. So, once again, the challenge. Think about what has God done in the past year? How has he been faithful to you? Write that down. Pass that along. And so, let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that for this pattern that we see in Nehemiah. That before we move forward, we look back. That we ought to remember what it is that you have done. Dear Lord, we thank you for this. Um, Lord, help us to, as individuals and as families, to reflect on how it is that you have been at work in our lives. May we never forget these things. Rather, may it spur on obedience and future faithfulness. May we not be shy about what it is that you have called us to. But rather, Lord, may we be encouraged to live as your people. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.